morning, and uh, we're very excited. Uh, our theme is um, let there be light, and this idea that Jesus uh, has not only is he our light, but he's called us to be a light in the world and uh, to allow him to live his life through us. So really excited. Then if that's not where you're going with the sermon, you've got time. So you got all we just try to fit it in there. That would be very sweet. Okay, um, which means since we have a Friday thing and a Sunday thing, we will not meet here next Saturday night. And so, um, so, so don't show up here. You'll be all by yourself, and Alyssa's not making drinks, and the whole thing is just going to be very disappointing. No one will be here. So, um, but lots of stuff to do over the weekend as we celebrate uh, Christ's resurrection. Yes, Tom. You just might want to mention Friday Yep. So, um, thank you, Tom. So, um, Friday night we'll have um, child care for nursery and toddler age kids. So, up to or up to two years old. So, three and older will be with their parents, but we'll have care for those little kids. And then Easter Sunday morning we'll have care all the way through preschool uh, in the, through kindergarten. Sorry. Through kindergarten, so elementary age kids will be with the moms in there. Okay, excellent. If you got your Bibles tonight, uh, or you open your app tonight, we're going to continue. We're in Matthew chapter five tonight. We're in this series called the Blessed Life, and uh, we've kind of been taking our time through um, this uh, the Sermon on the Mount. It's kind of Jesus. Uh, the, the first real public address that he's uh, made and in his ministry, and boy, does he start um, right away uh, setting the tone for what his ministry is going to be like and beginning to explain what the kingdom of God is really all about. So Matthew chapter 5, and we've been looking over the last several weeks uh, through the Beatitudes, verses 3 through 10. Um, really where Jesus begins to unpack or to describe and to explain that God's kingdom is about 180 degrees different than the way that the world's culture and the world's system works. And so he goes through these, all of this whole list, and with every part of it, there's a blessing that comes. But Jesus is saying the blessings don't flow the way you expect them to flow. It's different. And so he's walking us through in verses 3 through 10, he's walking us through what's called the Beatitudes. And uh, then uh, Pastor Ben last, last week looked at verse 10, that last, um, last of the Beatitudes that dealt with per, uh, persecution. And that word persecution means uh, to be pursued, to be oppressed, to be harassed. And then rightly drew out this idea that in verse 10, the focus of the persecution is that we are under attack, we are being pursued, we are being uh, harassed by an enemy. But it's an enemy in the spiritual realm. Now Jesus understood, he totally understood, that there's both a physical world and a spiritual world. That is the reality. We don't see the spiritual world but we certainly see the effects of the spiritual world. And Jesus knew that these two 
were true, and they're in conflict. There's a war going on. And Jesus says in, in verse 10, he says, you will be persecuted. But he's talking in that verse, he's focusing on our persecution that's going to come from our spiritual enemy. It's going to come uh, in ways that are unseen with, the, with our human eyes. But tonight, as we look then at verses 11 and 12, he's going to give us a peek as to another kind of persecution. Because in 11 and 12, even though 11 and 12 are not a part of the Beatitudes, verse 10 is the last Beatitude. And if you look uh, on the screen, verse 10 says, Blessed are those who are persecuted because of righteousness, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. It's another one of those weird blessings. Doesn't seem like if we are harassed and harangued and pursued and attacked, that that's blessed. But Jesus says, oh, you're blessed. Blessed to the point that the blessing, when you're pursued and you're persecuted because of righteousness, yours is the kingdom of heaven. Oh, there's blessing. But then he goes on. Look at verses 11 and 12, if you would. Because then he begins to transition away from the Beatitudes and uh, verses 11 and 12 become a transition to the rest of the Sermon on the Mount. The rest of, verse, uh, the rest of chapter 5 and chapter 6 and chapter 7 were really what Jesus does in the rest of the Sermon on the Mount. As he begins to explain and describe what this kingdom is really about. He, he helps us to understand the deeper heart issues that are important in the kingdom and the practical working out of how do we live kingdom-minded. So look at verses 11 and 12. Jesus says, Blessed are you when people insult you, and they persecute you, when they falsely say all kinds of evil against you because of me. Rejoice and be glad. Be, uh, because great is your reward in heaven. For in the same way they persecuted the prophets who were before you. In verse 11, Jesus begins to make a, a subtle shift. In verse 10, he's talking about our spiritual enemy who is attacking us in our spirit, in, our, in, our, um, in the spiritual realm. But now in verse 11, he says, and you're blessed when people, when people, that's an interesting, I mean, that's an important word there. When people insult you, when they persecute you, and then when they say all kinds of evil against you. Now all of a sudden our attackers have skin on. So now Jesus says, your persecution, your attacks are not just going to come from an unseen enemy. But, but we will also be persecuted by people. Now, he doesn't say, you know, if you're really unlucky, you might be persecuted. The truth is, he expects everyone will be persecuted. Why? Because when we live 
with righteousness in mind. When we live our life according to God's design, according to what's right in God's eyes, we will be different. And different makes people nervous. Have you noticed? Yeah. Some of y'all are looking at other people in the room going, different makes me nervous. Right? Like we all tend to kind of dress the same, and we all tend to kind of talk the same, and we all kind of tend to act the same, and we try to put on our social, right? Because different makes us nervous. It's not any different when we're pursuing righteousness, just living a life that's right with God makes us different than the culture that we're in. And different makes people nervous to the point that they would like us to not be different. And so there's some persecution that comes. There's some persecution that comes. And so what I love about these verses is that God, that Jesus now begins to help us to understand that our persecution isn't just going to be a spiritual attack, but it's also going to sometimes involve people, people that we can see, that we can hear, that we can we can read their body language, we can huh, right? But he also then helps us to understand how we're to respond. What's the proper response for those who are living towards righteousness? I want to share with you uh, tonight, uh, uh, introduce you to uh, a man named Richard Vermbrand. He was a pastor in um, uh, Romania, and, um, and in um, 1948, um, he was a part of the, uh, a, a gathering of pastors in Romania who, um, as Communism was entering into that country and beginning to have to get its uh, to get its um, uh, its foothold into that country. Eventually, it came to where the state, the, the communist uh, party, wanted to control the churches and the message of the churches. And so, um, Richard was a part of this gathering of pastors where they were talking about and they were discussing. Um, how communism um, and Christianity might coexist. And there were several in the room who seemed to not have any problem with that. And um, Richard's wife, Sabina, elbows him. Some of you all know exactly what that's like. Tom, you've experienced that, haven't you? <laughs> oh, yes, I know Terry well enough to know that she knows how to use an elbow, right? And she says, you have got to say something. You have got to say something. And he said, if I, if I stand up, you will not have a husband anymore. And she said, I don't need a coward as a husband. Mm -hmm. So he stood up in that meeting. And he says that communism and Christianity cannot coexist. Shortly after that, as he was going to church, he was arrested. Can you put that next picture up? 
he was arrested and he was imprisoned and altogether he spent 14 years in prison and because he didn't play the game he was also tortured while he was in prison his wife was arrested at some point there, spent three years in prison herself, working in a, in a forced labor camp, was eventually uh, released. Their son was also arrested at age 17. He was released at about a year and then took care of their younger, um, the, his younger brother, uh, while mom and dad were uh, away in prison. But consistently, <coughs> Consistently, Richard had one thought in mind, and that is, how can I spread the gospel? Where I am, how can I spread the gospel? I want to share with you several quotes through our message, through the message tonight, but here's the first one I want to share with you. And I said, this is a, he, so Richard, once he was released and, uh, he immigrated then to the United States, and one of the books that he wrote was called Tortured for Christ. It was an incredible, um, with details about his um, his life in ministry, or in, in prison, and what happened there. But this is a quote from that book, and he says, It was strictly forbidden to preach to the other prisoners. It was understood that whoever was caught doing so received a severe beating. A number of us decided to pay the price for the privilege of preaching. So we accepted the communist terms. It was a deal. We preached and they beat us. We were happy to preach. They were happy to beat us. So everyone was happy. <laughs> There's a mindset that comes. When you begin to see the battle that's raging, you will be persecuted. When people insult you, when they persecute you, when they falsely say all kinds of evil against you because of Christ, we have a choice on how we respond. How will we respond? Will we retaliate? Will we grow bitter? Or will we rejoice and be exceedingly glad? In fact, later in the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus teaches in Matthew 5, 44, he says, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. And Jesus didn't just teach that, he lived it. When he was hanging on the cross and he said to his captors, he prayed for his captors and he said, Father, forgive them for they do not know what they are doing. How can we have that kind of response in the face of being harassed and pursued and persecuted? Uh, I don't know that I'm expected to have all the answers, which is the only reason that I sign up to preach from time to time. <laughs> this, this passage is hard. But the thing is, guys, the only way that I can see that we can respond in a way that's loving towards those who are persecuting us is if we have in mind the reality of God's kingdom. 
if we have in mind that God's kingdom is different, and so we as his followers, as his, ch as his children, have to live with a different mindset. We have to be willing to think differently, not the way that the world thinks or our culture or our society, not the way that the people around us are responding and, re and, um, and, and, and living. But we have to be kingdom-minded. It really is why Jesus started with verses 3 through 8, to help us begin to see that his kingdom is different. And we put on that mindset and it allows us, it helps us to be able to live out. We're going to see it all through the rest of the sermon. And we add to that the truth of verse 10, that our enemy is behind the attack. Ephesians 6.12 says, For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. Paul makes it really clear here. He's calling believers to understand our enemy is behind all of those attacks. That when our attacker has skin on and we can see them and we can feel them and we can, uh, we can hear them, that that's not our real enemy. Our enemy is behind them. I love this. Uh, spend some time with uh, Ben and, um, and, and Bill and uh, kind of talking about the sermons that were coming up. And I love, absolutely love those times when we just get together and we start talking about God's Word and we learn from each other. But Chris Parrish made this observation and it just was so good for me. He pointed out this exchange that happens in Matthew chapter 16 where Jesus, as he's getting ready, he's moving toward his, his death on the cross and he's talking about, he's saying, I am going to die. You know, Jesus was so upfront about that, and the guys around him just couldn't get it. Right? They were blinded to it. They just couldn't understand. And so Jesus says, I'm going to die. And Peter says, you are not going to die. Like, hello, right? I know you're leading, but you're wrong on this one. You say, look. You're not going to die. And here's Jesus' response. In, in, in verse 23, Matthew 16, verse 23, Jesus says to Peter, Get behind me, Satan. You are a stumbling block to me. You do not have in mind the concerns of God, but merely human concerns. And I want you to see, but when Chris mentioned this, it, it became so clear to me. Jesus looked right past Peter to the enemy that was using Peter in that moment. Jesus knew who to address. He knew who the enemy was. And I'm telling you, more than anything else that we're going to look at tonight, I want you to hold on to that picture, that Jesus knew clearly there is a spiritual realm and there is a physical realm, and the enemy will use... People with skin on to get to us, to attack us. And Jesus looks right past Peter to the enemy. If we can hold on to that mindset, then we can respond the way 
that God's children should respond in the face of persecution. Look right past the person to the enemy that's behind them. It is so key. But it's having the kingdom in mind. It's having the kingdom in mind. Is it easy? It's not easy. It's not easy. Much easier to focus on the person that we can see, that we can hear, that we can feel. But if we can look past them, we will begin to be able to respond in the way that God's children should respond in the face of persecution. Peter was one of Jesus' friends, one of his best friends. When Jesus uh, took guys with him out of the twelve, he took Peter, James, and John. He, this was his inner group of guys. And yet Jesus says, get behind me, Satan. So he wasn't talking to Peter. I think he was also trying to raise Peter's awareness that there are two kingdoms. There's the physical world and there's a spiritual world. When we can remember that those who insult us, persecute us, and say all kinds of evil against us are not our enemy, but are being used by our enemy, we can better respond in a way that both seeks to glorify God and draw the attacker to God. Another two more quotes from Pastor Vermbram. He says, Not all of us are called to die a martyr's death, but all of us are called to have the same spirit of self-sacrifice and love to the very end as these martyrs have. It's the last phrase that I really want you to catch. To love to the very end as these martyrs have. And throughout all those years that he was in prison, there was one question that continued to swirl in his mind. And as he looked, I can imagine, as he looked at every person that he came into contact with, fellow prisoners and guards both, this was the question that, that circled in his mind. He asked this question, what can we do to win these men to Christ? It was a man who understood that there were two kingdoms. And he could look past those with skin on to see the world. And what that stirs in us, what it can stir in us, then is a compassion for the person who's being used. To say, how can I reach this person and share with them the gift, the release, the freedom that Christ has provided for them, even in the midst of them persecuting us. Jesus encourages us. He says, when you're persecuted, rejoice. Be exceedingly glad, because there's a reward coming. You are not alone. Others have suffered as well for my name. And then in verse 12, he kind of uses this example and he says, the prophets also 
He says, Rejoice and be glad, because great is your reward in heaven, for in the same way they persecuted the prophets who were before you. As you read the last parts of the Old Testament, these big, long, dry letters, right? These accounts of these crusty old guys who wandered all over and they preached these messages that nobody seemed to listen to. That's because nobody listened to them, right? But these were guys, when I talk with kids and I talk about the prophets, the prophets were men who listened to God and spoke to the people. This was God's primary way of, of speaking to his people. And in that season, his people were wandering. They were disobedient. They were worshiping idols. They had turned their face away from God. And God sent his prophets with a message saying, Turn around. Repent. Come back to God. The prophets suffered. The prophets suffered because they were in that role. I think about a guy named Daniel, right? You guys may have known his story a little bit, but Daniel was exiled as a teenager, ripped away from his home country, uh, and, and put into service in uh, the to the king of uh, Babylon and and for years really for the rest of Daniel's life he served foreign kings but Daniel didn't give up on the kingdom and he saw it and lived his life towards righteousness and he ended up at one point in his life he ended up in a lion's den his his uh his future very uncertain because he lived toward righteousness. There's a guy named Jeremiah. He's got a book. <coughs> Jeremiah, when he preached, he preached the same message for 33 years and no one, listen to me, no one, listen, I might stop doing this if nobody ever listened. 33 years. Jeremiah, no one repented. But Jeremiah was faithful. Jeremiah was faithful. And in the course of his ministry, he was cursed, he was beaten, and he was thrown into a well to die. And those were by the guys that were his countrymen. Not a popular job. Which would be like why a lot of those guys, when God called them, they said, I'll pass, thank you very much. And God said, this is your call. And they pursued it. A guy named Elijah, he was hounded and he was hunted by King Ahab and by that nasty Queen Jezebel lady. Ooh, she was a trip. But even though Elijah had some some mountain highs, if you will, right? And he had some lows in his ministry. He was persecuted because he preached righteousness. The prophet's mission was to warn the lost and to draw them near to God. And many of them were unsuccessful, and yet their motive 
was pure. I'm landing the plane now. I want you to listen real closely here. Listen now. When we live righteous lives, when we have our identity in Christ firmly planted in us and in mind, we too will draw the criticism of those around us. Our light exposes the darkness. Our righteousness causes those who are living differently to feel uncomfortable, to feel ashamed, to feel condemned. Not because of our words necessarily, not because of our attitudes and our actions. Listen, I think this is important. But when we live pursuing righteousness, it, it shines light in dark places and it causes people to be uncomfortable. Sometimes it is our words. But our posture, our attitude, and our motives should always be the same as Isaiah's. Another one of our prophets. Let me share with you what he says. Well, what the Lord says through him. Isaiah 55, 7 says, Let the wicked forsake their ways and the unrighteous their thoughts. Let them turn to the Lord and he will have mercy on them and to our God for he will freely pardon. Folks, when we're in the midst of persecution, whether that's from our enemy directly or in that spiritual realm or when the enemy is using people with skin on. Folks, if we can keep in mind that our enemy is behind us, we look past that person to the enemy. It allows our hearts to be set to respond in a way that can draw that attack up, draw those who persecute us into and closer to God where they're going to find freedom in Jesus Christ. Our attitude, our posture, our, our words, our tone, our motives are so important here. I want to pray for all of us tonight because as we go this week, our enemy is active. Peter describes him as a, a roaring lion prowling around looking for whom he may devour. Our enemy is active. He's not passive. Let me pray for us. Father, I stand.